0: The following program contains coarse language and nudity.
1: Discretion is advised. Hey there folks, this is Kristen Williams with another Trans Advocate Podcast, and today we have
2: Robin Mack and Alexis. So how how are y'all doing? How
1: how did your New Year's go? It's like every January
2: 1st, it's wonderful. It's, It's no longer holiday, I am good to go at about noon, and it happens just like that every year. What uh, about you, Robin?
3: I'm dealing with the cold front, but not as bad as some places like Chicago. Oh, right?
1: Okay. I mean, we're just
3: dabbling in, what, 22 degrees? Right. So, learning how to turn on the heater and what... <laughs> yes. And that yeah. You,
1: you ever... You know, every year around this time, you go through this ritual of turning on the heater and you have that old heater smell Uh that's been Uh, off for like a year. It's called burning dust. That's right. Right. right.
3: And then like I feel for the people who don't have a heater so now there's all these news reports on like how to safely heat your house if you don't have a heater. Right. Yeah, the
2: the, the bonfire in the middle of the floor is not suggested. (laughs) (laughs) There were a couple of those apparently. (laughs) Sending love to everyone. You know, y'all are talking about turning on the heater for the first time and all like that. I... Being a person who prefers the tropics, (laughs) even over Houston, my heater was turned on in, like, September early. (laughs) Oh, gross.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like, you know, it starts to cool a few (laughs)
2: degrees at night, and I'm like, oh, got to turn the heat on. It's time to turn the heat on.
1: So, for me, like, January 1st, it felt like political season was upon us, and everything is, like, full steam ahead, and we're trucking on down to... Uh, the countdown to the election already. So in that, I I know that a lot of our listeners come from Texas. Keep in mind that uh, if you want to register and vote for the primary in Texas, that's going to be on February 5th. You need to be registered to vote by February 5th to be able to vote in the primaries on uh, March 6th. Um, And I think the runoffs are... Um, you'll need to be mer- uh, registered by 423, and the runoffs are on 522.
2: And there will be runoffs, trust me. Yeah. We have way too many people for there not to be. My real question is, if you are not registered to vote, why don't you just go do it now? Mm-hmm. Whatever yeah. now is. You can't register before this, and it's already too late, in my opinion. So, you know, just get up and go find someone to register you to vote. It's really easy.
1: And you can go to the Trans Advocate and register to vote there. There are some states that don't allow you to register to vote online, but our little widget thing will take you through all the steps, um, give you a registration form. Uh, It'll fill that out for you. You can drop it in the mail. And for the states that do allow you to register online, it'll take you through that process. Right there at the Trans Advocate.
2: And if you do register online, keep a copy. And take yeah. it with you to the polls. <laughs> Absolutely. Because just just because their computer system says you were registered <laughs> doesn't necessarily
1: mean anything later. Right. Texas has a, a kind of a voter suppression issue. I I saw that like more than half of registered voters didn't vote last time.
2: Yeah, and I'm not sure how much of that's just laziness versus voter suppression <laughs> or, or disinterest. I mean, let me rephrase that. Laziness is a bad thing.
1: We'll say <laughs> disinterest. You, have you heard any other U.S. news <laughs> or anything?
3: Um, actually, this is the first of the year, so j- can trans be in the military or not? But on ba ba ba
1: Apparently, Apparently yes. they still can. At the moment, <laughs> yes. At despite at the all moment. tweets.
3: Despite all tweets. <laughs> Once again, I'm still very
2: uncomfortable having the Joint Chiefs on my side. <laughs> it's weird. I mean, I, I, I like allies, but that's a group I never expected. <laughs>
3: and then Bannon calls Trump Tower meeting treasonous. Dun, dun, oh,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. So Bannon is, is you know, the, the guy... Who fomented the alt right movement in America? He has decided now that he is ousted from the White House, supposedly. That you know the Trump Tower meeting was treasonous, and uh, there was a couple of interesting quotes that were pre. Uh, they, they were, I there was like, ooh, that's a burn. Oh, he says <laughs> they're going to crack Don Jr. like an egg on national TV. <laughs> He is colorful.
3: What month? Like, did he give right. out Can any winning numbers?
1: <laughs> is it a pay-per-view? I would pay for that.
3: Yeah, let's get this economy floating again.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be on Trump's new network. <laughs> oh, that's Ooh. right. Yeah, Trump is talking about putting together a new network. He's been talking about that since before the election, right? Oh, right. And, and
2: you know they, they gave a shot. During the primaries, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, during the primaries, and it didn't, in my opinion, go all that well. <laughs> but
1: uh, you never know. Well, um, and in trans news here at uh, Outsmart here in Houston, they had a story that said that at least 35 LGBTQ Texans are running for office in 2018.
3: 35? That's higher than Alexis's
2: count. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, mine were just trans though, and just and just this part of the world out here where we are. Good but, point. Thirty <laughs> five, sort of cool, but don't forget that's LGBT, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we we have a lot of LGBT, right? But I think that's really cool. The interesting thing is an awful lot of them win. I'm thinking that they have a really really good
1: shot this year.
2: I, I mean, if if you'll think back in that LGBT list, we have had gosh. A mayor who was LGBT person. <laughs> right, right. We, we currently have a, gosh, I believe, state's attorney or, or DA. <laughs> state's attorney's <laughs> Illinois. I was thinking back to Illinois stuff, but a DA. We <laughs> currently have a whole bunch of other people that are at least friendly.
1: I don't know whether they are or not, but uh, it's sort of cool. Uh, in Oregon, they passed a new law allowing trans people to... Um, adjust their birth certificate to reflect who they are. Um, I I know that whenever that was going through, uh, there were a lot of these so-called bathroom privacy type people going, oh, we can't have that. You know, that's that's a medical document. And medical documents are never, ever changed or altered. And medical opinions are never questioned because that's just how it is.
2: Ooh, I just thought of something. If it's a medical doctor, then HIPAA applies. How can they see it or use it? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm serious. I suddenly think that if it's a medical document, I'm going to say, no, you can't show that to anyone under HIPAA.
3: And uh, Oregon was one of the first to have third gender on their driver's license, right? Um. Or gender non-conforming or non-binary.
1: Yeah, I think that they had a non-binary uh, status in their state identification. So that's okay.
3: pretty amazing. So they have that, and then they also have birth certificates. So they're just proving all of us wrong. Like, it's, com- <laughs> it's completely yeah. possible, and we're going to do it, so there. I don't know. It's kind of neat that they're on the map. And, and
2: the nice thing, and I think one of the reasons half of my friends, that's an exaggeration, but a lot of my friends decided to move to Portland, Oregon, is In general, Oregon's like, you know, doesn't bother. If it doesn't mess with me, we don't care. Mm -hmm. right? Which, Mm -hmm. to me, is a pretty good attitude, actually.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, I saw that in Illinois. So,
2: I, I have to say something. You added that S on the end.
1: Illinois, that's how I say it. That's how mm. I say Illinois it. Illinois
2: is the way people who come from there say it. Yeah, but being this a person is that Texas. comes from there. there Texas is an is S larger do I say Illinois? Te, do I say Tejas? No. Some well, people that, do. But I could and they wouldn't care. Well, yeah, <laughs> right. I probably mean, right. wouldn't
1: care. <laughs> <laughs> it's Illinois.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I think
1: that's the New Jersey version,
2: actually.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, you know, so there's this group. I'm predicting she's going to edit that out, by the way. (laughs) There's this Alliance Defending Freedom. Have you heard of this group before? No, but every time they're defending freedom, I know they hate us. (laughs) (laughs) That's it, exactly.
2: (laughs) I mean, I'm not sure
1: why defending
2: freedom includes hating us, but it seems.
1: So, Alliance Defending Freedom, they're the ones who are writing all of these bathroom bills. They're the one that is basically behind every single right-wing push for legislative changes that marginalize queer people. They are the big dogs on the block pushing stuff. So before there was the Alliance Defending Freedom doing anything, it was the Pacific Justice Institute. Oh, those people. I remember them. (laughs) So the Pacific Justice Institute was doing exactly what Alliance Defending Freedom is doing right now. But... Uh, they got caught. They got caught in their lies because we exposed them. Um, they lied. That, so in California, they were trying to pass a so-called bathroom privacy bill, and they were looking for some some parents, some students or something to complain about their damn trannies in the bathroom. And so finally they found a student in uh, Florence, Colorado, to claim that a trans student was sexually harassing uh, the girls in the bathroom. So a trans girl was sexually harassing girls in the bathroom. And the, the Pacific Justice Institute waited for a school break and then put out this like sensationalistic um, press release that went international immediately. And, um, you know, the, the kind of hate that this group inspired directed towards this one trans girl in Florence, Colorado was pretty horrific and drove this trans girl to near suicide. She was put on suicide watch, medical suicide watch. Um, and it turns out that it's all a lie that none of that happened. It was actually a mother who didn't like you know, trans girls being able to, uh, you know, go to school like the other non-trans girls. And, um, you know, that's that's it. And so whenever it came out that PGI lied about everything, they made all this up. They attacked this little school girl. Uh, PGI's name was basically Dirt. They became a hate group, and they were discredited, and all the media... And so PGI, you don't hear from them anymore. Who took their place was Alliance Defending Freedom.
2: And, and one thing I'd like to sort of rephrase that you just said, you said they became a hate group. They'd always been a hate well, group. Well, yeah, of They course. were just identified as a hate group. <laughs> yes. They were. Yeah. They got the label officially. And, and, and any place the same people go, probably going to be a hate group too because I think that's who it comes
1: from. And really, that's but that the thing that really got them was that they got... All these press outlets to run this fake story, Uh, trans the trans advocate showed that it was a fake story. We got all of these press people, except for Fox News, to retract their story to issue apologies to this trans kid in Florence, Colorado. And so none of those outlets listen to PGI anymore. So what do you do? You change your name. Yeah, you know, and, and you know what really bothers me about those
2: stories? Nobody went to jail. Nobody went to jail for trying to ruin this kid's life, I guess. No. Nobody no, they, paid they a whole said, lot of money. Nobody's paying her tuition for the rest of her life anytime she wants to go through Mm-mm. school. no, Nobody is paying to make her life easier after they made it harder. That's right. the part that bothers me, and okay. that's where I think we, our legal we, system falls we, down.
1: Our group raised several thousand dollars to help offset the medical expenses that they incurred for sending this kid to a suicide watch facility, I mean, Jesus Christ, I mean, the type of damage that this group, Pacific Justice Institute, did to this kid and targeting this kid was you know, horrific. And, and, you know, it's almost like we need to find
2: a group of lawyers who will take the cases pro bono. And then they can have a percent of what we collect. But just flat go after the people legally that do that. Because yeah. they know that no one's going to, mainly because the the people involved are just glad to have it over. And, you know. Exactly. They're essentially trying to say, I you know, just don't have the energy to do anything else. And, and it costs a lot of money. Frequently, I've seen that the right wing people have a lot of really high powered lawyers here in Texas. Mm-hmm. They certainly do, that are part of their group. In fact, they run the groups in some right, cases. Right. Mm-hmm. And we basically don't have a similar group of lawyers that will go defend it. Uh,
1: the closest uh, thing we have is like the ACLU, the very, I think there's the Transgender Law Center, um, there's the Lesbian Law Center. Um, I mean, the,
2: SPLC does some things on hate crimes a little bit. Yeah, and,
1: but, but it's all very, very, very selective. Um, and just in my opinion, they're not super, super aggressive. And um, in, in, they seem to be
2: more in constitutional law in some
1: instances. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of ACLU
2: and in the... Let's change the law, which that's good. Don't Mm. get me wrong; I think that's really great. But there's sometimes when you just have to say, "Look, their weapon is money. That's how they're doing this. We need to go take their money because that's their (laughs) weapon. They need to be disarmed." It's like if you know you had somebody who has a whole bunch of you know automatic weapons and they're doing things, (laughs) you disarm them. You don't sit there and say, "Oh, great. Let's just say you can keep all those things and we'll." Send you a little slap on the hand saying, don't do that again. (laughs) Yeah, you need to disarm them when you figure this out. I mean, you know, here in Houston, the people doing this have lots of money. They keep throwing money in. Only way to stop it is to essentially make their money unavailable to them. Right.
1: Actually, you're absolutely right. And I, I think that that really needs to happen. And some, especially if there were some aggressive young lawyers who are really good. They very well might make their career on that because you only so have to win one. Young lawyers who are listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I go to the trans advocate contacts page. I didn't say that per se, but I, you know, know, if, if
2: we, the, we've started projects on less than this. <laughs> right Hell <at>. yeah. <laughs>
3: at least pay for smearing her name and doing all those accusations that are you know obviously going to be searchable now until she changes her name that's going to run her into the mm-hmm. muck forever oh yeah
2: and and there will be people who are like well that was all you know the apology wasn't re- i mean they'll be doing all of that mm-hmm. and you just have to attack it I, I mean if if i look at the anti-defamation league's approach which is you the famous we attack you After a while the attacks slow down (laughs) Because it hurts Mm -hmm. Well we haven't done that And and I really think we need to
1: Yeah and the the way that Because a lot of our community Is not rich uh, A lot of our community Does not have a lot of Political clout or media clout Or whatever the best that we can do Is organize protests And stuff and what I've noticed That even when we do that You know, the people who are having some sort of a meeting, that they're having a gala event or some sort of something or another that they're, they're, you know, of course using their money to put on this event that this handful of people are protesting. The protesters are labeled as the villains because they're anti-free speech.
2: Interesting. I didn't know that's where you were going with that, but okay. No, that,
1: that, that's literally... Yeah, but I don't mind
2: being labeled by, as a villain by the people that I'm protesting. I mean, honestly, it, it's like they may be anti-free speech, but not
1: really. But, I, I mean, like in the UK media, uh, when any of these, like Jermaine Greer takes to the uh, international news has some sort of something, goes up there and spews all kinds of lies, misinformation, slanderous bullshit about trans people, and trans people protest it, then all of a sudden, like, all of these cis people come out of the woodwork to decry in international news that their platforms are being taken away and they have no more free speech because 20 people protested. Yeah, but now you're talking the UK again.
2: I (laughs) mean, I I mean,
3: we talk a lot about them. Well, yeah, and and
2: the switch. We aren't the UK, and it's sort of back to the standard thing of you know we get to be different because we won, and (laughs) it's really straightforward. You know, I I see people all the time, and I've had people all the time explain to me how UK does it this way and does it that way, and my answer always is the same. But we won, Mm -hmm. and so you know it's simple and straightforward. The UK's freedom of speech is a little different than our freedom of speech, if you will. Uh, and one of the things that they love to do is protest the abuse of their freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. it, it seems to be a very favorite thing for theirs. So.
1: Well, they do that a lot in, uh, for instance, here's another for instance, but it's not America, it's uh, Canada. So I don't know how different that is, but there was this uh, documentary supposedly about trans kids it's actually about how this reparative therapist was bullied and has free speech like crushed because he couldn't like focus on gendered non-conforming kids and put them through air quotes therapy to make them straight acting non-lispy but, but wait, wait 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 they run all sorts of movies like that around halloween
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this one just claims to be true. I mean, you label it documentary versus horror movie. Uh, well, it, so it, it shouldn't matter. So it, it,
1: people who were like, "Okay, every yeah. there's big problems with this. It's spreading falsehoods. This should not be aired on the Canadian broadcasting system as if it were true." And the Canadians went, "Oh, okay, yeah, you're right." So that they didn't do it, and now for the last month um you've got these supporters of this reparative therapist taking to their various news agencies to decry how the, all of their free speeches are being taken by all of these trans people who have so much power and I think that's great we should use it <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I mean you know they've had all the power forever so why not <laughs> right y- you know I actually think it's good that People we consider negative are screaming that we're infringing on their rights to lie, (laughs) cheat, steal, etc. I mean, we hear that out of the White House.
1: (laughs) So this Illinois uh, school district, they had reached this agreement with this trans kid that said, okay, trans kid, you get to use the bathroom that matches your transition status and because they this uh township had this agreement with this one trans student alliance defending freedom came in and tried to say oh no 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 that wasn't a policy that was just an agreement with with one kid it it's null and void now since this one kid is now out that means that we get to institute cis and trans and intersex segregation in all things and a judge went uh no. <laughs> <laughs> Good, because I was waiting for that part, because if they didn't, then it was a problem. But
2: one, one of the things that happens even, you know, with questionable federal judges is frequently, if it's stupid, it's stupid. <laughs> it's pretty stupid. And, and they also understand that there's uniform and equal enforcement that's required under the Constitution and all those things. And a lot of times they're sort of like, I don't need another 400 cases in my court, <laughs> which I think is the bigger driver than fairness.
1: Well, speaking so, I was just uh, you had mentioned the trans ban and how that's now null and void. That Trump's decree on Twitter is just you know the courts looked at it and went no no <laughs> <laughs> and
3: and I judges think it, are doing a good job this year with like managing what Trump tweets this the judges still say no. And Trump tweets true. this. The judges still say no. no. Like, they don't need 140 characters. They just knock it out in two. No.
2: And, and, and that was a really nice little word. It's no. hard to misunderstand.
1: So um, to this uh, for this podcast we have a little section. It's an interview with Dr. Jillian Frank. Um, he did a lot of work with looking at political movements throughout history and kind of noticed this thing um, where it doesn't matter what oppressed group you're looking at, they all, you know, these right-wing assholes use the same playbook, time in, time out. Whether they're talking about Native Americans or black southerners or um, people with HIV, or feminists, or whatever, they talk about the bathroom, they talk about how we're all sexual deviants, and blah, blah, blah. And so I did this interview, um, we've got it narrated and it's all fancified for you. Um, <laughs> so, um, take a listen. Um, so wait, 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 before we go to the interview, there, there, there is something that
2: I, I want to mention up front and you should listen a little bit and think about this while you're doing it maybe maybe not and that is that the cool thing about it is that the extreme right wing folks have figured it out if it works keep using it
1: (laughs) well they've been using it for 150 years exactly
2: and it has still worked and it's working today (laughs) and it worked in the last election so why would you stop using something that is that proven on the other hand the more left-leaning people Take the approach of saying, "Well, yeah, I know that worked, but we should change it." Oh just yeah, because. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, no, We should stop doing that. We should dismantle it. We should uh, turn, try this and try that, and,
2: and and let's just go do eighty-two different things rather than. Oh one. yeah,
1: we'll do eighty-two different things. We have two people to do that. Yeah, so 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 we'll just we'll just
2: whip right on through them all and do them all sort of not terribly well, and and go forward with it because we can't really come together but before we can do that we need to
1: have a committee meeting Uh that sets the agenda for the committee meeting but
2: but wait wait we've got to figure out how we're going to pick this committee that's going to take six years well
1: well what we need to do is we need to have several years of just discussion and kind of come to a consensus after many years
2: but by this time everyone's bored and we're going back to changing again (laughs) And I gotta tell you, you watch, and the consistency is on the extreme right wing. They're they're you know pushing the same story. All they're doing is changing the names of who they're attacking.
1: <laughs> uh, I, it, it would be nice if we on the progressive side of things had kind of like a playbook that just works. Time in, uh, just has worked for whatever we're trying to do. Uh, we have anything like that? Oh, we do. We have several of them find them in the stack of the
2: ones that didn't work as a real problem. <laughs> 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 there are so many. And, and, you know, one of the things that I'm sort of pushing for is that we really need to be looking at progressive and centrist type people mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we have a hope that the centrist people could steady down some of this stuff that, <laughs> that goes on. And I mean, I'm, I'm all for innovation, but you got to try something consistently and mm-hmm. go with it. Uh, If I look at it, Bernie's fundraising worked pretty darn well. Hell yeah. See anybody doing it right now? Nope. That's the whole thing. And I'm not sure why. I expected to see people doing the populist fundraising all over the place this year for the election. If you haven't done it by now, you aren't starting early enough, I think is the real message. And I just don't see it anywhere. Hmm. Maybe it's because it worked. I don't know.
1: Well, if we're lucky, we will have a Democrat that's been around for the last, you know, 50 years and has been, uh, you know, preferably entrenched in Democratic policy for the last 20 years. And so, um, you know, we'll definitely win. Uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) Uh, You think Bill's coming back? (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> I mean, I mean, that wouldn't be Bernie. He hasn't been a Democrat most of the time. <laughs> I, I, you know, it, it, it's it's like you got to really look for candidates. Now the cool part is that we have tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of new people,
1: mm-hmm. and.
2: I really think some really cool people are going to pop out. I think they're going to pop out in the Senate and House first. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Looking at the the people who are running here in Texas, we have some really good people running. Absolutely. My concern is that they'll get blown out in the first round before they have a chance to actually get rolling, but we'll see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, anytime you have a congressional district that has... Oh, eight or ten Democrats and eight or ten Republicans running for it. (laughs) It, It's a real toss-up. I mean, the best person may not actually be the one that runs in the final election just because of the numbers. Right, right. But uh, it it should be interesting with that. Okay. So so back to your podcast. Or back to your narration, sorry.
1: So here's the interview with Dr. Jillian Frank.
4: All this week on the KSFO Report, we're presenting segments of an interview conducted last Thursday with State Senator John Briggs, the author of Proposition 6.
0: Well, my friend, if you are not aware that children are the target of the homosexual element in this country for uh, seduction and for conversion into their homosexual way of life, I don't think there's any way of reaching you, because most of us know it.
5: An Interview with Dr. Jillian Frank by Christian Williams In Illinois, one of the states that joined North Carolina in suing the Obama administration for the special right to target trans school children for segregation from cis students held a rally for anti-trans activists, who called themselves Citizens for Child Safety.
0: It is, look, a person can have pornography. Hasn't interacted with uh, a person of same sex, different sex. They can have pornography and go to jail for just having pornography. Now our federal government's going to mandate that it's okay for a male or female to go into whatever bathroom they chooses. That is insanity.
5: There, they distributed flyers warning that unless trans and cis students were segregated, cis children could be forcibly exposed, sexually harassed, traumatized sexually molested. During the rally, the group's co-founder, Danny Holliday, told the crowd that the leaders of the trans rights movement were pedophiles who enjoyed having sexual intercourse with animals. Political discourse situated around the minority use of bathrooms has featured significantly in numerous social equality struggles, from the fight to preserve racist Jim Crow laws to the sexist battle to keep the Equal Rights Amendment, known as the ERA, from being ratified.
0: Okay, that's a real common misconception that's uh, connected to the Equal Rights Amendment also. the Supreme Court has already upheld the right to privacy in such things as restrooms, and the Equal Rights Amendment is not going to uh, take off his and her signs on bathrooms and put up their signs, I don't think. Uh, also, you have to think when you go onto a uh, public carrier like a, an airplane, uh, there are not men's and women's bathrooms. There is just one bathroom, and it's the very same thing if you go into a person's home. Well, I'd certainly like to thank Cousin for clearing that up for me. All right, thank you for calling. I imagine that a lot of these questions are are standard questions. When you talk about the ERA, somebody brings up the draft and public restrooms and things.
5: Rhetorical themes featuring bathrooms, privacy, and safety concerns are integral aspects of a specific and identifiable political dialectic used to incite, promote, and sustain the fear that an oppressed group may well rape, molest, harass, or infect the majority group should equality between the two groups come to pass. In contemporary times, this political dialectic featured prominently in narratives supporting North Carolina's law, mandating that transgender people who've not been able to amend their birth certificate use the restroom assigned to them at birth rather than the restroom that matches their transition status, irrespective of legal identification or phenotype. Proponents of laws like North Carolina's so-called bathroom bill assert that these laws are needed to ensure that a. the privacy of cis people is respected, b. Without these laws, rapists will dress and drag to molest little girls in the restroom and c. Trans people are perverts and pedophiles who need to be prevented from accessing women's restrooms. In doing research for an article about so-called bathroom bills, I came across the work of Dr. Jillian Frank, a visiting fellow at Princeton University. I reached out to Dr. Frank to help me better understand the ways in which the very discourse currently focused on the trans community was used against other marginalized groups throughout American history. What follows is my interview with Dr. Frank. I ran across your work while doing research for an article that I'm writing that examines the way in which political discourse situated around the end of desegregation, the adoption of the Equal Rights Amendment, and equality for people who are HIV positive and LGBT often sounds strikingly similar. In fact, the discourse sounds so similar that it sometimes sounds as if these anti-equality movements are somehow using the same political playbook. Your work examines this discursive phenomenon. Would you please talk about how you came to research the tendency of diverse anti-equality groups to often use strikingly similar political discourse?
4: When I was casting around for dissertation topics in grad school, I began looking at the ways in which conservatives sought to express sexual norms during and after the so-called sexual revolution of the 1960s and 70s. I kept bumping up against how conservatives used child protection language to repudiate what they viewed as sexually deviant practices, whether it was within gay liberation or second wave feminism. And so I thought, okay. That's interesting. Why are they always talking about some sort of sexual threat to children? As I began digging into Anita Bryant's 1977 anti-gay crusade, I noticed that her anti-gay activism coincided with anti-feminist and anti-integration social movements. I thought to myself, why are they talking about race in the exact same way that they're talking about gay rights, feminism, and the ERA? These movements, I quickly realized, were not compartmentalized. Conservatives moved between these movements and deployed similar child protection language. It was something of a revelation for me that a lot of the anti-gay and anti-feminist activities had deep roots in the anti-integration movement. So that led me to look backwards in history. I found that the child protection rhetoric had been an effective tool in neutralizing the equality claims for a number of marginalized groups. I learned that conservative rhetoric that invites Americans to protect our children from sexual violence is often a smokescreen used to obscure discussions of social inequality.
5: What is your take on the recent rally in Illinois, wherein anti-trans equality activists claimed that trans schoolchildren pose a sexual threat to cis schoolchildren, Do you find that the way anti-trans activists talk about trans children is somewhat similar to the political rhetoric used against other marginalized groups?
4: The way sexuality is used to demarcate the difference of the other and to marginalize the other is a widespread phenomenon with deep historical roots. In terms of the recent rally against transgender children, the language of these anti-trans activists is incredibly stock. They depict trans school children as pedophiles, as likely to engage in bestiality, and as likely to participate in group sex. It's the overblown moral panic language of, it's not only this, but it's that. It's the argument that one thing leads to the other, that sexual or gender variance is a slippery slope. For these anti-trans people, it's not only that trans children are bad, it's that they're going to try and have sex with your children. It's not only that, but then they're going to molest your barnyard animals and domestic pets and not only will they engage in these solo acts of sexual perversion, then they'll engage in group sex. As I said, they're shifting the conversation away from the inequality trans school children face. Instead, they're rendering any recognition of this inequality as a sexual threat to cis children. These are paranoid fantasies. It's that somehow these children will invade the intimate spaces cis people inhabit. It's the argument that these intimate spaces will be invaded if other groups, in this case trans school children, are dignified. The basic message is that the existence of trans school children represents a general lack of morality. The bestiality language has been part of the anti-gay discourse for decades, and the pedophilia rhetoric dates back at least to the 20s and 30s for gay men, if not earlier. These are long-standing anti-gay tropes. Now, the really strange thing going on in the quotes from that rally is that there is the assumption that because the child is trans, that is, the child is aware of their gender dysphoria, that awareness somehow sexualizes them for these anti-trans activists. I find that to be a really strange and interesting leap they're making. While in actuality, a child having an awareness of their gender dysphoria isn't about sexuality. For these anti trans children activists, there's somehow a coupling of gender identity and sexual desire, so that if a child is aware of their gender identity, they must somehow be hypersexualized and therefore dangerous. The logical leaps these anti trans activists are making within the political sphere are so long and convoluted. It's worth nothing. For them, a desire to be honest about one's gender identity is to mark oneself as being over-sexualized. They believe these children are wolves in sheep's clothing. It's quite strange when you parse out the twisted way they're viewing trans children.
5: In your paper, you wrote about the historicity of the Save Our Children narrative. Would you talk more about that?
4: Stigmatizing people by labeling them as sexually dangerous is a practice that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. In the United States, marginalized and despised groups were regularly depicted as sexual threats. Communists, gays and lesbians, African Americans, Mexicans, all were stigmatized in this way. Whites resisting Reconstruction in the southern United States deployed a powerful trope that black men were sexually predacious. They did so in order to rationalize controlling and marginalizing newly freed and enfranchised African American men. The idea that black men were rapists who desired white women undergirded lynching, which was a form of domestic terrorism used to control and disempower the African American population. By the time we got to the Civil Rights era, the argument was this. If we get rid of Jim Crow laws and allow blacks to use the same public facilities as whites, miscegenation will take place. Their boys will want to marry our daughters. Their boys will want to have sex with our daughters. Their boys will want to rape our daughters. This narrative, which states that disempowered minorities deserve to be disempowered because they are sexually violent, has become a template for conservative activists. Again, the function that this narrative performs is that it's a pivot away from having to address basic questions of dignity, equality, and enfranchisement by describing a certain group as sexually dangerous, violent, in need of regulation, and policing. To call a group sexually threatening is to justify the any regulation and violence inflicted upon them that's the template. Social equality for marginal groups leads to sexual violence against the dominant group. Therefore, the marginal group must remain marginalized. This became a basic architecture, a basic political language, that was transposed onto other anti-equality efforts, from the opposition of the ERA to gay rights. These anti-equality movements were oft comprised of the same people, modeling the same rhetoric off each other.
5: Why, in your opinion, do anti-equality political groups find these arguments so useful?
4: They use these arguments because it's incredibly effective rhetoric. I mean, who's going to speak against, as they would frame it, the best interests of the children? Who's going to choose dangerous minority groups over their own children? For marginalized groups seeking equality, Responding to this rhetoric has been a challenge. Not only do you have to make your case for equality, you have to spend time telling people that you're not a threat to their children. A triangulation takes place so that you have to assert your normalcy and respectability while also trying to prove that you're not a sexual threat.
5: Would you talk about the ways in which anti-equality groups politically construct themselves to be victims of marginalized groups?
4: Anti-equality movements position themselves in that way because it's a powerful narrative. We're the victims here. What about our rights? What about our ability to live how we want? This offers an inverted image of actual power relationships. Here, the majority presents themselves as vulnerable to the whims of the minority. Some anti-equality activists really believe this rhetoric, while others are just using it as a political strategy. Conservatives have been very good at portraying themselves as the victims of social reform. When conservative politicians and opportunistic religious and social movement leaders frame their social groups as endangered by the empowerment of minorities, they're able to rally supporters and raise funds. By demonizing minorities as sexually violent, these same dominant groups are able to renounce any moral obligation to protect minority groups' equality and dignity. It's a mechanism that allows you to dismiss the marginalized in our society and to inoculate yourself from humanizing them.
0: We don't want any of this trash. The ordinance has widespread opposition, creating a strange alliance. The KKK, as well as many black ministers, bankers, doctors, and lawyers, have all campaigned to defeat the bill. Hey, if this referendum passed, I think it would damaged Houston's uh, image substantially, much in the way that San Francisco's image has been damaged. Louis Welch, the mayor of Houston during the 60s and early 70s, represents the old guard and the unbridled growth of the oil boom days. You are just wonderful, and I'm so proud to have you on my team. Kathy Whitmire, the mayor of Houston for the last four years, is young and progressive and has appealed to the city's diverse, new, and upwardly mobile population. It's a Texas political shootout, with the retired gunslinger, Welch, coming back to run the young upstart Whitmire out of town. But it's Whitmire's support of a gay rights referendum last January that prompted the good old boys to challenge the incumbents and bring back their man. Do we want to be another queer city like San Francisco? Or do we want to be the kind of city we love? The Welch's city- supporters helped defeat the gay referendum, and the victory spawned a new political group, the Straight Slate, which is running city council hopefuls under its banner. Welch, who has made morality his cornerstone issue, was recently criticized for shooting from the lip. Before a live television news interview, he was heard saying off camera, but on the air, that the way to solve Houston's AIDS problem was to quote, shoot the queer. Let's talk
5: more about this with North Carolina Governor Pat McCrory, who joins us live. Governor McCrory, thanks so
4: much for joining us. Thank you, Jake. I just want to let you know this actually really started in Houston, Texas, with a referendum, uh, a a local ordinance in Houston, which was a mandate on all private sector bathrooms uh, brought up by the left, the Democrats, that was defeated by 61 percent of the vote about six months ago. Then it came to Charlotte, North Carolina an ordinance which was passed, uh, a a bathroom bill by Democrats on all private sector employees in, in Charlotte, and then all we did was overturn that, very similar to the Houston voters. Our bathroom bill in North Carolina only applies to our schools, our universities, our government buildings, and highway rest stops. So sir, take a
5: listen to the Attorney General, Loretta Lynch, who had this to say earlier in the week.
0: State sanctioned discrimination never looks good, and never works in
1: hindsight. It was not so very long ago that states, including North Carolina, had other signs above restrooms, water fountains, and on public accommodations, keeping people out based on a distinction without a difference.
3: So I just want to take a moment and gloss over 2018 and some of the great events that are taking place. One, we've talked about Friends of Queer Voices, it's a campaign that we're running through Transgender Foundation of America.
1: Okay, what, what is Queer Voices?
3: Queer Voices is a uh, radio station that's been ran through a public media space that may or may not stay open, and we've decided to help fund... Uh, basically a savings for them in case they ever have to go off air. We want to support them in staying on air.
1: <laughs> so I've been listening to Queer Voices for 20, 25 years now.
3: Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of the biggest tools it, that had me find community.
2: And that's one of the key things. We don't want them to go away. And currently they aren't in a position where they can actually collect money themselves. hmm and have it go toward the just-in-case type situation. Mm. Because they're a radio show that runs on a Pacifica radio station that runs on a Pacifica radio network. right, right, right. And and all of that good stuff. So what we're doing is we're collecting money to have it in case. And if it turns out that everything becomes wonderful and they no longer feel like they're at risk or anything like that, then we'll donate half of it to the Transgender Archives and the other half to any charity that they say you know we should donate it too so it's not going to disappear it'll all be 501c3 deductible those sorts of things it's just that it feels like they may need some money to get back up and running fairly quickly and i'd rather have them up and running quicker than later and i think that's what we all decided disappearing yeah exactly because that can happen when you're in flux like that you can think you're going to go raise the money to get back up and then other stuff just rears its ugly head Mm -hmm. and gets in your way
3: Absolutely. And if you're somebody who clearly loves podcasts like our own, you might <laughs> want to go to KPFT and check out Queer Voices and look at their archives cuz they have real they have a great amount of substance that you can listen from their website.
2: And you should avoid the ones that we're all on just no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <laughs> joking. <laughs>
3: well, and we're starting a new school semester, so um we have an academic scholarship that you can find on Theunitybanquet.com It'll be under scholarship applications For those of you that are going to college or trade school Or uh, want to get some sort of license You can apply for our scholarship We have uh, definitely granted scholarships for trans identified people Allies of trans people We give preference to trans people first We give preference to people in Houston first But from there, we just try to spread the love as far as we can. We mainly send the money to your school. And um, if there's any questions, it's a pretty simple application. You can contact us and ask those questions, and we'd be more than willing to help you with it.
1: So this is one of those uh, funky community-like things where students have to write a 12-page essay, and the organization hands out fifty dollars and they call that their scholarship that's the no. well, it could be
2: that but we were going for you know a full novel published etc but then <laughs> then they don't need the scholarship so we backed it way down to
3: something actually, closer
2: to fill out a few things yeah it's just
3: it's just fill in a few things and you don't even have to submit your transcripts like if we if we if we feel like we need them we can talk to you about that but we know that that actually requires a fee for some people I've actually seen work applications that are harder than our school application.
2: And if there's something on there you don't know how to fill out, just send it to us without it. We'll call you and and ask questions or send you a note and ask questions, those sorts of things. And our typical scholarship is $1,000. You can apply once a year some people like to take the or have taken the approach of saying okay so i applied in the fall can i apply in the spring sure once a year is once a year mm. we go calendar year with it and and we do a thousand dollars there are times that we'll do a little more than that sometimes well i've never known us to do less than that now that i'm thinking about
3: no, it n- unless but if it was like a license or a yeah, cpr that, that's true. Or if, if you
1: need like less that. then we'll do less mm-hmm. but um, so this is uh this is only for American citizens in America and no place else. Is that right?
2: Maybe, maybe not. Uh, the biggest problem we would have is that we do have to pay the money to the school. Mm-hmm. So we have to be able to make sure we have a way of getting it there. Uh, the, the other side of it is that H. which does the scholarships, also does grants. And so sometimes if the scholarship doesn't fit, but we'd normally give you one, we can move it over and do a grant for the same amount that just has a little bit less uh, control on what we do with it. And, and we've had that happen.
1: So if someone's going to school in Mexico or Canada or the UK or something like that, you're saying that they can actually apply?
2: They can. Then those are Now, you know, you'll be after people in Houston. And mm. if we run out of scholarships before we run out of Houston people, then you probably won't get one. I say probably because you know it, it's pretty flexible, uh, and you know those are all fine. If it was some place that is really, really difficult to figure out how to get it to the school and get it mm. into your account, then we just might not be able to make it happen.
1: Gotcha, gotcha.
2: It's
3: worth a try. You know, I would, we're really four people. We're not trying to run. We're not there to say we have a scholarship fund and then not grant people. That doesn't make any sense to us. There are places so that Rob, do that, but that's not us.
1: Robin, you know people who have actually done the scholarship application. Is this like a three-hour process? or?
3: Like no, a- it's it's a literally if you have access to a smartphone, you can go to unitybanquet.com. You can actually fill it in from your smartphone And send it in. I don't recommend that. You might want to type out some answers. Yeah,
1: If you go to the transadvocate.com on the front page, if you scroll down on the right-hand side, there's a link to the application.
3: Perfect. Okay, great. Well, um, you know, we had one uh, female-identified person apply. She had her GED from high school. She didn't think that she would make it very far in college. She was going to give it a shot because waitressing wasn't generating enough money for rent. And she's actually really good in car mechanics and so she applied on the spot standing right in front of me and got the scholarship and has immediately gone from i'm not sure if i'm going to make it through college to being uh you know on a 4.0 gpa honor roll society she started a, a gay straight alliance at her campus she's being looked at from uh I don't I don't even know the world of mechanics but like I don't know like John Deere people. <laughs> sure why not? John Deere. I'm not really sure I'm not yeah. really sure.
2: She has a lot of job potential. I'll yeah there you say. go okay great
3: yeah so and, so and going into
2: this she didn't think she'd possibly have any cause yeah it, it was interesting and, and that's not unusual uh, it, yeah. it it just happens and sometimes it's really funny where you're you're thinking well you know, I don't know whether this will help them at all, but they're deserving, et cetera. And you find out that it got them over a hump where they were pretty much going to have to drop out of school because right. they were five or $600 or maybe $800 short. And so mm-hmm. we throw in $1,000. Oh, wow. And,
3: I mean, we had a, another person who applied right at the same time and this one's uh outside of houston they had a resume a mile long i mean they've written a book they've gotten so many awards (laughs) i thought surely this person doesn't need any help like what are they doing just trying to get another accolade accolade you know yeah
2: they were finishing up their phd and and, and, and we're like i don't know if this will even help them but they're they're really good and they're deserving and, Mm -hmm. and you know
3: and alexis called and they were not Able to. They
2: yeah. were getting ready to drop out of school because they couldn't finish up their PhD because they were short of money. And there were some things where some things were going to expire, so they probably mm-hmm. wouldn't have gotten it. And they were pretty happy to say the no. least. Right,
3: right. <laughs> so we have that. And then if you want to go to Gender Real Houston's Facebook page, you can stay updated on any of their uh, 2018 offerings. I know Is there's. That
1: gender Real? Gender
3: R e e l real as in oh, like, like a, a movie, movie reel, okay. yeah so gender movie. Reel houston they uh mainly have a facebook page they show gender diverse films here in houston and um they're supposed to do a pretty big show coming up i think in march is what they're looking at and then right after that we jump into houston's pride season in june so if you want to walk with us table with us or just build a float, you can come right on down and help us
2: and you can do all of those too. You can do all of them. <laughs>
3: some people do all of them. It's a little uh, pride marathon, to tell you the truth.
2: And I'm sure we'll be in the history tent again because they've already asked us back. <laughs> right.
3: <laughs> yeah, and if you want to just, uh, you know, be an amazing academic archivist, la, 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 and help us <laughs> la, la, la. help us with our trans archives, you know, in person or from afar, we'd love to work with you. Hmm. So these are just some of the fun things that we're doing so far in 2018. So, in other
1: words, we don't do anything. We don't help anyone, and we just sit around and make oh, podcasts. Oh, did,
2: did we forget to mention that we still, of course, have our uh, Trans Disaster Relief Fund. Oh, right, right. That is uh, still paying out and still getting money in, mm-hmm. and if you've had a disaster, and, and, and be pretty liberal on what that word disaster means that right. has affected you and I mean, you if your, your house
1: burned down... That's a disaster in my book. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you know,
2: again, it's focused on uh, genderqueer, transgender, and intersex people, mm-hmm. because that's the group that normally has no focus from elsewhere. Right. And right. That's the group
3: so, that doesn't have time to go through eight rounds of applications. Meanwhile, like, they don't have a lot of savings, a lot of extra income to do their own rebuild or wait for know, FEMA. My
1: ID melted in my house that I had to get out of, and... I promise you that I'm me, but yeah, you know, that, and that and kind of stuff. And yeah, and and the biggest
2: thing about a lot of that is it's like no problem. You can get your ID replaced. Oh, wait, there's a little confusion about this because there's like two or three names associated <laughs> with it. Mm-hmm. So it's going to take you 60 days as opposed to the normal three days or five mm-hmm. days or whatever. And in the meantime... Gosh, what do you do for a living, etc. And that—that's mm-hmm. what the fun will be for you.
1: I, it seems like a in the past week or so, I remember seeing some folks from, uh, was it
2: Puerto yeah, Rico? Yeah, we had some from Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, yeah, okay. In. And I think Puerto Rico's back in good enough shape where we can actually get the Ish. money. Yeah. I mean, one of our problems in the past was we had no way of getting money no to Puerto Rico. Right. Unless yeah. we're it,
1: just like taking a plane and dumping money on the no, no, they, they weren't letting you fly over.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. They it was so closed down that there was nothing you could do, which was pretty frustrating to say the least. Mm, mm-hmm. You could get it to Florida, but the people in Florida said they couldn't get the money into Puerto Rico. Mm. So, you know, it was almost impossible to help people, which really sucks to be blunt. But uh Almost everywhere else, we've been able to get money to people that need it. And one of the things that we do require, it's a very simple form to fill out. (laughs) Yeah, that's also a very simple form. But we do require a phone number because we want to hear your voice.
1: Yeah, Mm. we want to talk to you. We we will talk to you.
2: And rather than a couple thousand pages of paperwork, (laughs) you know, we'll see if, you know, it sounds right on the phone. That's three you knows on that one, so I need to stop that.
1: Uh, (laughs) Well, yeah, we're going to have a conversation with you and I think our our entire application process is w- what like it takes maybe three minutes.
2: Yeah, some people make it longer because they write <laughs> us a book, but that's okay. <laughs> but But the idea is we want to know who you are, where you are, how we get a hold of you, and generally what you need. But my observation is that when we have the conversation with you, we'll come up with lots of other stuff that you need that you uh-huh. haven't thought about. Uh-huh. <laughs>
3: So, and even if you never participate with any of this, just rating the podcast, reviewing it, sharing it. If you go to our unity banquet videos, sharing those, getting the word out, those are things that can be life altering and bring community to people who don't have a lot of uh, community around them. And that makes a difference. If you share any of our trans advocate articles and, you know, stand by us, write comments, those things can be very uplifting and they go a long way.
1: So I know that in the new year, we're going to have uh, on the Trans Advocate uh, several uh, new columns, um, some that are weekly, some that are bi-weekly, some that are monthly, uh, that will uh, start happening this month, so keep an eye out for that. Also if you write, if you have this burning story that you have just got to write, or you have some sort of a you know, thing that's going on in your community that you know you need to get the word out, contact us. We are always looking for new writers and new investigative reporters, um, and we actually compensate our writers for the work that they do. That's I mean, c- it's that's not like...
2: That's called actually pay them money. <laughs> <laughs> compensate can be
1: a lot of different things. <laughs> we actually pay you money, yes. <laughs> we, we, we don't send you the leftover fruitcake. Yeah. Well, we we uh, looked around and noticed that a lot of like these progressive blog places they they pay their authors in this thing called experience. Yeah. See, so, you know, and you can take this experience and go buy groceries with it. Apparently, I don't think so. No. <laughs> no. No, you can't. And and you know, if I look at our list
2: of authors, a lot of them really don't need more experience. <laughs> And actually, most of the people in the trans community feel like they've had significant experience already,
1: unless they're really, really, really new. So, yeah, we want to definitely uh, support our writers, our community writers, because uh, you know the reality is that our community is not the richest community out there, um, and a lot of times, if you're a writer, you're probably a struggling writer. So, we want to uh, support you. Uh, You know, as much as we can.
3: Yep. And so here's to 2018 and all the great things that we're going to be doing. Keep us in mind and share with everyone else.
4: Hello, and welcome to the end of our show. Our narration was provided by Vanell Swin and Ray Bader for The Trans Advocate. All rights reserved. Our music was provided by Daniel Burke and The 126ers. Archival material provided by Archive.org, NBC, and CNN. Our show was hosted by Robin Mack, Alexis Melvin, and Kristen Williams and was produced by Kristen Williams. The Trans Advocate is a project of the Transgender Foundation of America, a 501c3 nonprofit. The Transgender Foundation of America is not responsible for the opinions or comments of individual show participants. I need to come
1: up with, like, a snazzy outro. I I think you're fading away. I I am.
3: But you add in really cool outros. Um,
1: Well, I do, but I I never know, like, what the... Hey, we'll see you next week. You yeah, episode. please don't do that one. <laughs> well, I think I think
3: it's probably next episode because you might do more. Or, yeah, you know, or whatever.
1: See you next episode.
3: Next episode. Push play on and, the next and, and episode. And people might not play like them ne-
1: every week. Like, like I, I, I grew up in Houston, so like the the catchphrases that are in my mind is like slime in the ice machine. You know, that's that's that was literally. The first phrase
2: I heard on television my first trip to Houston, (laughs) staying in a not great hotel because I just needed someplace to sleep. I turn on the news. The first thing that comes up is slime in the ice machine, so <laughs> and this person with this weird white hair and a white and a white suit—it's like Donald Trump's
1: hair, but and, white. And, and I'm sort of like, "Oh
2: my God, where am I?" <laughs> Marvin's in their my eyewitness news. <laughs> I, I, I mean. You know, the more I think of endings, the less I get. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, bye, yeah. bye. The <laughs> more like, you say
1: bye. <laughs> uh, y'all
2: come back now here. That's no. the wrong part of the world too. Oh, oh okay. That's, That's Texas, Texas City. Goodbye.
1: <laughs> You're looking like <laughs> actually, I don't know,
2: but never I'm do that again. <laughs> <laughs> actually, actually a Texas goodbye is y'all come back now, yeah hear? But yeah, but, but <laughs> it doesn't mean come back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like bless your little heart
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: I don't know, we'll work on it.
4: Okay.